Welcome in to episode 263 of the Sources Say Podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the Growing KSR Podcast Network. Sources Say is brought to you by our good friends at Justice Dental. Uh, visit one of their two Lexington locations. That's on Blazer Parkway and Wellington Way by scheduling an appointment online at justicedental.com or by calling 859-543-0700. You can even send a text message to one of their friendly team members at the same number to ask a question or make an appointment. Now is a great time to schedule your dental cleaning. Dr. Thompson, Dr. Justice, and their team strive to provide you with good oral health and a comfortable environment. The Justice Dental team looks forward to seeing you soon. Sean. We got we got a good news only edition of the Source to Say podcast today. No no negative vibes, no pessimism, no no none of that garbage because we finally have clarity, and it's like significant clarity, uh, and and it's it's a game changer for the Kentucky basketball program. Sean Smith, first and foremost, thank you for joining me. As always, it's a, a pleasure to see you on this glorious whatever day it is, Wednesday Wednesday afternoon. What was it I said in April? We'd have uh, roster clarity by mid-June. Is that what I said? Yeah, something like that. Mid, mid-May, mid-June. Same thing. No difference. No, no I'm, a, I'm a month late, which is spot on with what we do on the show. And I'm not in a car. So today is a very good episode. So just fingers crossed that internet and everything holds up because we've got a lot of uh, good stuff coming your way. A jam-packed episode. A lot of people in DMs today. A lot of people in mentions. And Antonio Reeves lined it up right perfectly. We we were planning like we set that we were going to record today, uh, yesterday afternoon, and boom, we got a lot to talk about, and it's a lot of good news. Yeah, about time, man. I, I'm so over just how this whole process went, and and the, <laughs> uh, the just the, the unnecessarily long drawn out delay of what we kind of talked about. I mean, it, it kind of felt like Kentucky and Antonio Reeves were playing chicken with one another about. Hey, we really want to come back, but you know, only if it makes sense for us. Kentucky saying we have the top-rated recruiting class. We're not going to, you know, it felt like both sides were kind of playing chicken with each other, and it kind of it finally just reached a point where it's like, all right, bro, Kentucky's playing games in three weeks in Toronto. We have a roster to get finalized. We have a team like practices started right now. The players are are actively practicing right now. It's like. All right, it, it's time. Antonio Reeves realized that he moved back in uh, yesterday, back to his dorm yesterday, uh, and, and uh, I was told was a spectator today at practice. Did not participate, but was a spectator uh, watching everybody else uh, go through uh, the, their pre-Toronto practices. So uh, it's time, man. We we have Antonio Reeves. I, I've confirmed with UK. It, 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 he is back and. Uh, what an addition, what, what a welcomed addition for this Kentucky basketball roster that desperately needed A, bodies, but B, talented bodies, and C, uh, experience, and Kentucky gets all three of those on Antonio Reese. Yeah, I said a week ago that his role to me was probably the clearest of, of anyone's, and I, I never really understood why he wouldn't return to Kentucky. I just think it makes sense for both sides. It makes sense for Reeves. It makes sense for uh, Kentucky in itself. So you, you get a three-level scorer. You get a guy who went on the road at Arkansas last year and scored 37 points and carried the team, put them on his back. And I know the way he ended the season, Jack, you know, missing those shots down the stretch in the NCAA tournament, that, that's not the the taste you want uh, to leave in your mouth when it comes to your Kentucky basketball career. So it's, it's good to see him run it back. And Kentucky gets a guy that has played a lot of college basketball. That's the one thing that's missing on this roster to this point. 
is a guy that has been through the fire and knows what it takes to not only play college basketball, but what it takes to put on that Kentucky jersey and be out there in some of the biggest moments. And I think that was what is so significant about this news and about him deciding to return to Kentucky. It's good for both sides. Yeah, and I had heard that there are other programs that were willing to throw a significant uh, chunk of change at Antonio and that he was a really sought-after recruit. Again, a kid that wasn't even in the portal yet, so that part was frustrating just yeah. – having to exist while tampering was going on and like having these, uh, these other programs coming in and like trying to get in touch with a Antonio and, and bring him into their respective programs. He did take summer classes at Illinois state uh, to work toward a, a graduation. It was at least an option that uh, Antonio was con uh, considering. I had heard on multiple sides that it still wasn't a foregone con conclusion that he would have been able to get the in line in time for that to come to fruition. So maybe there was some clarity in that regard of, you know, I just don't think this is going to get done in time. And there's no real reason for me to not go back to Kentucky. Let's just cut the BS and, and make it happen. And, and look how it unfolded. I really don't care. Like, I really don't care if he was eligible, if he wasn't, if he's, you know, had these other offers and wanted to deny them or what Kentucky offered to get him. Like, I don't care. I, I truly could not give less of a damn about how it all unfolded because we're past that point. Like this is, it, it is June 21st. We're past the, the rumors and scuttlebutt and, and rumblings. Like they needed him back on campus in a practice uniform, getting ready for Toronto. Like when push comes to shove, it does and none of that other stuff matters. They now got him back. He's moved back in, in, into his dorm and he's going to start participating in practice sooner rather than later. Uh, nothing but good news. And I, and I want to ask you, Sean, how do you see him fitting in with now that he is confirmed back, Kentucky confirms that he is back enrolled in, in summer classes with Kentucky, how does he fit in with DJ Wagner? How does he fit in with Rob Dillingham and Justin Edwards? Um, from a scoring perspective, from a, you know, just an offense perspective, how dynamic can this Kentucky team be with Antonio now in the fold with other pieces they already have? You know, it, it's, it's interesting. And when I look at this and I was actually thinking about this about an hour before we started recording is, you've got a lot of guys that I think require the basketball in their hands, but I think you've got pieces too that can play off the ball. And he is one of those pieces. Like if you need him late in games to get into some of that middle ball screen that they did when Kentucky's backcourt was injured and he was on a pretty much on his own in the backcourt on the road at Arkansas, he can do those things for you. He can step and play off the ball and run off some of that floppy baseline runner action that Kentucky likes to do. Like, uh, you can ISO him and he can go to the basket. He can get to his mid-range. He can pull up and hit a three for you. He can do a lot of different things. And I think that that's what makes him probably the most dynamic piece of that backcourt is he can kind of uh, move around and, and do some different things on the floor for you offensively. Uh, we know that there needs to be some improvement defensively, especially another year at Kentucky. Just continue to get better on that end of the floor. But uh, Toronto is going to be a big – like a big thing where it answers a ton of questions for us about what some rotation pieces could look like in this backcourt and, and what are some lineups that we can see. Uh, can Kentucky go with, with Reeves and Edwards and, and Dilly and, and DJ together? Like, well, that remains to be seen, like how creative John Calipari will get when it comes to rosters, but he's going to have that opportunity for a week in Toronto to kind of show us some different things. But having a veteran guard to go alongside those young, talented pieces, I, I think it's significant. And this changes – entirely how I view Kentucky going into the season. I think it changes a lot of national media's, media's perspective on what the Cats could look like because 
being so young, Jack, and having all those freshmen and not having a veteran piece to play alongside them in the backcourt, I think it would have been a dangerous way to go into the season. And I think Kyle Tucker said this on Twitter, and he brings up a good point. I think Antonio Reeves is going to be the reason why Kentucky doesn't get absolutely run in, in <laughs> Toronto. Because if Aaron Bradshaw is out of those games, Santos Surreal will not be playing. I still anticipate him to come. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. I expect him to commit to Kentucky and ultimately in, enroll uh, for the 2023-2024 uh, season, but I don't think he'll get on campus in time. I, I've heard August is kind of the tentative timeline for him to uh, announce his commitment, get on campus, and, and those sorts of things. Uh, so Kentucky <laughs> would have been really, really, really thin without Antonio Reeves to kind of, you know, be that veteran scoring presence as DJ kind of finds his footing, Rob finds his footing, Justin, the, the you know, other complimentary pieces – Antonio is probably going – Kyle brought up a great point. I, I do think Antonio is probably going to be the reason Kentucky stays competitive and probably wins a couple of those games in Toronto. He's that type – and, again, it doesn't matter, but it's more so uh, establishing early cohesiveness and camaraderie and uh, figuring out where that veteran presence is going to come from in the locker room, not just on the floor, uh, but but in the locker room. I know he's kind of a shy kid, but is he going to emerge – uh, is DJ Wagner going to be that alpha and kind of Reeves settle in as that complimentary mentor type type guy? I don't really care, but at least we can now start asking those questions. I think his role is going to be more of an off-ball piece than it is on-ball piece. And, and last year, he kind of got thrown into that role of having to play with the ball in his hands a ton. Uh, we know that injuries played into that, Jack, but I think that you're going to see a Kentucky team that's going to have D.J. Wagner getting downhill, getting two feet in the paint. You're going to have some of these other Kentucky guards doing that, and I expect Antonio Reeves to be the guy spotted up knocking down shots. But then if you need a bucket, you can go to him in certain situations. You can get him in some middle ball screen like I've talked about. I, I think that that's an area of his game that really stood out to me down the stretch last year as Kentucky tried to make its run into the postseason. So I think that will probably be – his role, especially in Toronto. Mm. And I think that that's the role that probably translates to a professional career at some point, a shot maker, and then getting better on the defensive end of the floor. And like I said a few minutes ago, coming back to Kentucky and kind of trying to get back to that NCAA tournament and having a better ending to your career. We talked about it with Oscar Shibway. Antonio Reeves is going to try to do the exact same thing, and, and we know that he will be Kentucky's shot maker. I know I had some people asking me, like, are we sure that he's a leader just because he's older? That doesn't necessarily make him a leader, but I think he's going to have to lead. I think he's given the platform to do it with such a young roster that he's going to feel not the pressure to do it, but maybe the responsibility that it, it's his team to lead. And maybe you pass the torch throughout the season. You see those freshmen come along and lead alongside him. And it might just be leading by example. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be him being the loudest voice in the locker room because I do think that there are other guys. Like, I think DJ is the alpha. DJ is kind of just that win-at-all-costs mentality type type of guy. I do anticipate him being, mm -hmm. uh, if, if, if I had to guess, that this is going to be DJ's team. But Antonio is a guy who's going to get to work. He's going to be in the gym. He's going to get shots up. Like, that's never been... Uh, an issue for Antonio Reeves. He's a guy that is going to lead by example. And I, I think that's the biggest part. If, you know, Rob Dillingham is trying to decide whether or not, you know, Rob, Jordan Burks, whoever, uh, if they're trying to decide whether to hang out in their room and play video games or walk 100 yards across the uh, – or 100 feet across the, the Joe Craft Center parking lot and, and go get shots up at midnight, you know, Antonio is going to be that guy that 
you know, following his lead. Like it's just little things like that that I think are going to be absolutely uh, crucial and, and uh, beneficial with with Antonio's return. Uh, we touched on it leading up to uh, his anticipated commitment, but we also got another roster addition, not just a returnee, uh, but an, an actual addition this this uh, past weekend, Saturday. Joey Hart, Hart three-star shooting guard out of Indiana, announces his commitment to Kentucky, signed. Uh, he's already enrolled. He's already uh, moved into uh, his dorm. He's practicing already. Uh, what do you make of that addition for, for the Cats? Now knowing that Antonio Rees is back and it's not a one or the other situation, I know there are some people concerned about that in the chat, like, oh, are we supposed to you know, get super excited about the departure of Antonio Rees, six, SEC Sixth Man of the Year, and get excited about Joey Hart? Like, no, you can be excited about both now, which is a really, uh, really cool thing. Yeah, I like the addition of Joey Hart even more now just because there, there's not the pressure on him having to – step in and, and play minutes right away or, or really carve out a role like that to me is more of a down the road top piece. Kind of like we looked at a Duthiero a year ago when you add that as a late addition to your roster and things into your recruiting class. So uh, Joey is a guy that can knock down shots. And if Kentucky gets in situations, they face some zone, the way injuries and, and bodies get banged up throughout the season. If you need a stretch for a game or two, maybe he plays a limited role in, in those areas. So I like it more so for a year from now, or if if it works out, maybe even two years from now, you get some pieces in this recruiting class that hopefully stay the course at Kentucky, and we're still talking about these names a couple of seasons from now. I think that's where the biggest impact is made. But, Jack, you, you can agree with me on this. I think you will. You can never have a, too many guys that can make shots for you. And he is a guy that can make shots for you. And getting Reeves back takes some pressure off him having to do it immediately. I think that's probably the the thing that it, it goes hand in hand. And I think it's a great thing for the program to add Joey. Yeah. in talking to Joey after his uh, leading up to his commitment, you know, I talked to him and uh, he made that very clear. He's like, Kentucky is bringing me in to just be a shot maker. Like I, I know my role. I know I'm not going to come in and get a ton of minutes immediately. I know I'm not going to start. And, you know, like I, I know exactly what, my role is going to be on this team. And Kentucky just needs guys like that. We had Joe, uh, Jordan Burke's coach uh, from Hillcrest on, on our Sunday morning sports talk show on 630 WLAP uh, on Sunday. And he kind of said the exact same thing about Jordan. He's like, look, this is a dude that doesn't care who you are, what uh, name is next to you on, on, on uh, what your ranking is, what your star status is under that stuff. He's a dude that's going to come in and just work. That's all he cares about is, is coming into work. And that's what Joey Hart does too you added two guys that are kind of workaholic guys that are going to come in and be in the gym and, and just provide whatever they can uh, given what the, what their role is. And, and I think Sean, if the order of operations kind of was switched just a little bit with Antonio Reeves announcing his return first, followed by the additions of, of jo Joey Hart and Jordan Burks, like I think Kentucky fans would be drooling over both of those additions. But I think because there was so much, built up tension about Antonio Reeves and it's like, okay, why are we going to get so excited about two, three star kids when we're missing our kind of glue guy, our, our veteran scoring piece that carried us in so many different ways. Why are we supposed to get excited for three stars? Now I think when you can look at the big picture of everything, I think now that the clarity is there, uh, you can get excited about the whole bunch, not just each of them individually. Yeah, I think there was a lot of built-up frustration with where those guys brought in for replacements for what you couldn't get in the portal or what you couldn't get back. And now you kind of look at it and seeing the graphic there beside me on the screen, 
Kentucky's got enough dudes to run fives now in workouts and yeah. practice. And it took, it took three months to get us there, but they're now there where they can actually do some things. And that was probably the frustration, right? Is it had been two, two and a half months and Kentucky had added nothing to its roster, mm-hmm. nothing via the high school route, nothing from the transfer portal, nothing returning other than Adu and Ugo. And we know the frustration was there with Ugo to start the, the spring run off. Like it was a frustrating stretch there for two months, but now you get some positive news that, you get the fan base able to talk about something like today feels like a good day on Twitter. It's been nothing but positivity. And that's the way you want to see it. That's the way you like it. Were there some roadblocks to get here? Absolutely. But like you said in the opening, none of it matters. None of it matters. Whatever went on with Antonio Reeves, whatever the discussions were, whatever went on behind the scenes, none of it matters. Ultimately, he ended up back at Kentucky. It's like a high school recruitment. There's a lot of twists and turns, but in the end, if you win it, you win it. And you're happy about it. So Kentucky fans should be thrilled today uh, that the roster is starting to finally come together and it has a guy like Reeves to, to lead it, but also that you're adding guys like Jordan Burks and Joey Hart to it to, to add depth, but possibly future pieces as well. So while we're talking about potential additions, let's uh, go on and, and talk a little bit about who else Kentucky could add to round up the ro- this roster that would make me personally uh, quite excited for. Unfortunately, it comes in kind of crappy circumstance. You don't want to be a vulture picking over a basketball roster uh, where the head coach just got in trouble for DUI and the details were absolutely terrible. And like you, you feel kind of gross talking the details of how we got to this point, but the situation is what it is. Bob Huggins resigns due to his circumstances the NCAA allows a 30-day uh, transfer, open transfer period for the entirety of the roster. Um, and now anybody on that uh, West Virginia roster has free reign to transfer wherever they want uh, and have Im- immediate eligibility. I know there's a lot of talk initially about Jesse Edwards uh, transfer from Syracuse, kind of rerouting himself to Lexington. I've actually heard throughout today, uh, this morning into the early afternoon that um, it's not necessarily Jay, uh, Jesse Edwards that is the name to keep a very close eye on. It's actually uh, Trey Mitchell, the senior uh, forward, six foot nine, two hundred twenty five pound, versatile, shot well from three, uh, career fourteen hundred points, six hundred rebound guy, eleven point seven points, five point five rebounds per game. Uh, there's a lot of talk that if he does decide to hit the portal, and he's he's strongly considering that, that Kentucky would be uh, a, a very serious option for him, and he, Kentucky would welcome that with open arms. Now, there hasn't been any you know contact between the two sides and obviously no tampering or anything, but uh, it has been made clear on Trey's side that you know if, if I were to enter the portal, that Kentucky would be a, 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 a school for me personally to, to go to. There's past coaching connections um, that – can, that John Calipari's deep Rolodex of uh, of guys that he's known for decades, uh, th- those relationships paying off with guys like Trey Mitchell. Uh, this is one that I would keep a very very close eye on uh, if he if and when he inevitably hits the transfer portal. Uh, I do think that Kentucky's going to be a very serious option for him, and um, doesn't get much better than uh, adding that type of versatility and, and scoring and. and I uh, just kind of do it all type type of guy this at this stage in the process. June twenty first, talking about a guy like Trey Mitchell being added to your roster, uh, it's pretty damn impressive. Yeah, you could possibility of adding a, a power five guy. He he's been at a lot of different stops. Been at UMass, been at Texas, been at West Virginia. I sent someone a text right before we started recording that actually worked and coached him 
at one of those stops. So I'm waiting on a response back to uh, to maybe get a little bit of more information on the type of player he is and some things like that. So maybe that's something I can share moving forward if it becomes something. But you got a guy who scored, I think, 1,400 points in his career, grabbed over 500 rebounds, I think close to 600 rebounds, 102 career games, 92 starts. Like that's that's something you can add to your roster that you don't have, right? Like we're talking about that with the Reeves in the backcourt. Well, now if it becomes a thing and it's able to work out, you add it to your front court as well. And that's another area where Kentucky needs experience. I know that we've talked about Bradshaw, and we'll get into that. We, we've talked about Ugo and, and the potential that he has there. And my concerns of having to rely on Ugo alone, I, I don't want to do that. So I would love to have more pieces in this front court, and this would be a perfect place to start if it's able to work out that way. Yeah, this is a kid that started his career at UMass, put up 17.7 in 7.2 per game in year one, 18.8, and then uh, 7.2 in year two, transferred to Texas, 8.7 and four that year, and then uh, West Virginia this past season, uh, 11.7 and and 5.5. 61 assists this past season, too, from that position. Stands out. Yeah, this this is that, that versatile... Um, dude who who shot an impressive forty seven percent from the from the field thirty seven percent from from three that's kind of what you want is a you know he averaged thirty minutes per game this past season but uh, you know even if he comes in and gives you twenty five you know depending on the timeline for Aaron Bradshaw when he comes back but just kind of that what Damian Collins what you kind of envision him being role wise, kind of that energy guy it contribute however he can this past season. He didn't really emerge into that, but uh, it's kind of the, what I envision him having just, just kind of that plug and play uh, do it, do it all threat who can step out and knock down shots. I think that's uh, exactly what you're looking for is that complimentary piece, especially if Aaron Bradshaw is out for any extended period of time or any, any period of time at all. Uh, that's a guy that I would be comfortable, a fifth-year senior, that's a guy that I would be comfortable playing serious minutes for however long it takes for Bradshaw to get back on the floor. My audio go out? I can't hear you. You can't? Well, go for a little bit while I figure this out. Testing, hello. I can I can hear you, Jack. I don't think he can hear you. Oh well, we'll get him figured out uh, while while uh, we talk over some other things, and he just disappeared. I don't know what what went wrong, but you can't hear me. I can. Yes. Cool. All right. Sweet. That's that's all that matters. Like, we don't need Sean to hear me anyway. Um, so Trey Mitchell, I don't know necessarily a timeline. I'd, I'd assume things would move rather quickly uh, in, in that front if and when he does decide to hit the transfer portal, but that's definitely a welcomed addition if and when that does uh, happen. And I will add that Santos or a couple people in the chat asking about a timeline for him when he he could potentially uh, make his intentions known. I'm told that he's still wrapping up his academics. The expectation is that that should be completed in July. Uh, obviously, he would be missing the Toronto trip. So uh, Hopefully the Trey Mitchell news happens sooner rather than later, especially with uh, Aaron Bradshaw kind of up in the air. Uh, you need bodies, and Santo will not be one of them up in Toronto for the Cats. So, um, and I have been told that Ugo will will be eligible to play up there. So it's not like we're going to be running five guards. So you, you'll at least have one uh, one, one center to, to to play there with. But um, Santo, I, I've been told t- tentative timeline is is to get those academics done by July. 
and then uh, hopefully August is when he would officially enroll and make his way to campus and then get ready for the regular season. So uh, I expect Santos Real to be a Kentucky Wildcat as a 2023 uh, signee. I expect things to move somewhat quickly with Trey Mitchell if he does decide to hit the portal with Kentucky. Uh, I, I know it's kind of up in the air publicly, but I do think that things are, are, are trending in the right direction for his uh, potential addition. Uh, and then Aaron Bradshaw, I wanted to wait. I'm trying to prolong this until Sean can get back with us to talk about Aaron Bradshaw. Is he back? I He's we're working on it. He's he's trying to get in, but it looked like uh, I don't know. There's all kinds of theories. Maybe the, the phone overheated again. Um, but. Yeah, it is. It is what it is. So a couple people, I guess I'll just kind of start the the run with it. And I will add um, after Sean gets back, we'll talk a little bit more about this. And we're going to have Zach Gagan on uh, actually to close out the show uh, to talk a little bit about the NBA draft. And that's coming up Thursday night, what, what's going to happen with Casey Wallace, what's going to happen with Oscar Shibway. No, Oscar Shibway is not coming back. I know there's some like rumor online that he's going to come back. That is not going to happen. Uh, so can cancel those doubts. Our, our focus is on where Oscars are going to be playing in the NBA next season. Uh, Jacob Toppin, Chris Livingston, will uh, talk a little, little bit about that. So we'll kind of make this a two-part show. First part will be about wrapping up this upcoming roster, and then we'll have Zach on uh, at the conclusion of that to talk a little bit about the uh, NBA draft. Um, Stephen, I'm going to put you on the spot. Your reaction, yeah, go for it. When, when the news dropped last, I believe it was last, this, this past Saturday uh, or Friday, whatever it was, maybe Friday, I can't, Friday, Saturday, whatever it was, that uh, Aaron Bradshaw had a fractured foot and... <laughs> That Friday, uh, his, right? Or, or, was it Friday? Whenever it was, yeah, that, I was at the I was at Barnhart's presser when, yeah, his early season availability was very much up in the air. Uh, what was your reaction to that? Um, I wasn't thrilled. I mean, it's it's like it, 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 if we get a better timeline too. I also don't want it to sound like I'm, you know, hating on Aaron Bradshaw for being hurt that's really not it. It's just that like, it just feels like every year now there's just an injury. That's just, it's a, it's a weird situation. You had severe Wheeler last year. You had, of course, Shane Sharp, uh, Jared Vanderbilt. There was the time before the, uh, the Houston game in the NCAA tournament where you're waiting on PJ Washington and Cal hasn't seen him. So it was, it's just like, oh man, like not another one of these, especially when you look at how thin you are at that position, you're like, this is the whole season. Like if you can't, and, and not only that, but after seeing Aaron Bradshaw play just once, I was like, that's, I want to see what that guy can do at Kentucky. I want to see what, how Cal uses him because I think, I mean, I love his jump shot. Like I think you have somebody who's seven foot and you can trust to hit an outside shot. I mean, I, I so I, I hope, that they get a chance to play. Uh, I hope he, I hope he gets a chance to play at Kentucky because uh, it would just be another, like you watch Shaden Sharp highlights this year and it just makes you sick, right? You just don't want to see that again. You know, a couple years from now, you're watching Aaron Bradshaw highlights and just, you know, like we didn't get a chance to see that. <laughs> so it, yeah. yeah, I was, I was really frustrated on Friday, but I'm kind of calmed down now. You've kind of made me feel better about it. So um, what are the updates with, so with Bradshaw? It, so 
yes, there is a real injury. Um, yes, this is something that I, I haven't gotten this confirmed from Kentucky side, but I, I, so I've been kind of waiting to hopefully get some confirmation on Kentucky side, but I had heard uh, that he did undergo surgery this past week. Um, and that the timeline I put out when it first came out was four to six months, which would put him back basically from the start of the regular season to potentially as late as December. And then you get into boot season and that, you know, we've, as you said, we've got dealt with this with Jared. Like you, that's not just, that's not a position uh, that you want to hear. The updated timeline that I heard today was September to October, which um, that definitely makes me feel better about him not missing yes. real games. And, and I, and I want to make it very clear um he wants to play. Aaron Bradshaw himself does want to play. Kentucky yeah. expects Aaron Bradshaw to, to be a Kentucky Wildcat and to play. Like that is that is something that I, I want to make very clear. Um, the issue is, I've heard on from Clutch's side of things, and I was kind of right there when the USC rumors came about and what they were ex- what their expectations were about. Uh, you know, role. And if Hunter Dickinson comes and we're not coming, but if Oscar Sheway comes back, then he better know what his role is going to be. Like, you know, they were kind of throwing around roles and demands and things like that. And that's just not a comfortable position for any coach to be in. And um, I think that's where a lot of that silence came from is they just, they, they were trying to get things worked out organically and fixed behind the scenes. So this never even became a thing. Uh, and then Shams gets the report from clutch clearly from straight from Rich Paul's from, from the horse's mouth uh, that this is an injury that would uh, be a serious one and would potentially extend into the regular season. And there's some people uh, that were talking about a timeline four to six weeks. I, I'm here to tell you right now, like go look at what happened with Joel Embiid and his rookie season. And like, the initial timeline was four to six months for him. He had a, uh, a surgery to to fix it to fix his foot. He ended up missing his first two seasons of of NBA basketball. He missed his entire rookie season, then had a setback, and then missed his entire sophomore season. So, like, please just ignore the four to six week stuff because Twitter doctors are saying, you know, my mom that was is a cashier at Walmart. <laughs> Uh, had a fracture in her foot and she was back on her feet in four to six weeks. This is a seven foot one NBA level athlete. That's trying to be a top five draft pick. Like this is not even remotely close to the same thing. There is a, a track record of NBA bigs that have had similar sur- surgeries that have missed extended periods of time, not just four to six months, a- as long as a year for uh, a track record. I-, I went back and found the quotes from, uh, Joel Embiid's surgery and the the doctor that was pers- per, that was uh, going through it said uh, it's four to six months timeline to start with with potential to return to basketball acti- activities and full live game action in a year. So like this is a very serious thing that Kentucky is very optimistic that it can get dealt with quickly and he can be back on the floor and that's the goal. That's what Aaron Bradshaw like Bradshaw himself wants to play, um, but. The issue, unfortunately, Stephen, is uh, Clutch had a bad experience with Chris Livingston this past year and felt like he was not played in the right position and that his role was in question and that it kind of tanked his draft stock. And they're concerned that if the same thing unfolds with him and the – See, I thought what tanked the draft stock was shooting – Seven foot one – 
unicorn, I want to be a four, you know, knockdown jump shots. Like they're concerned that this potential top five pick is going to uh, have his draft stock killed too. And it is the. Well, then why even, why even go to Kentucky? Like, and that's why they tried to, again, I remember, I remember sitting at the NBPA top 100 camp in Orlando and have Aaron Bradshaw himself telling me, I am ready to make my commitment. I am confident in where I'm going. And that school was Kentucky. And that was last July, maybe even late June. And that process got extended all the way to October before he announced his commitment to Kentucky. Uh, That had, you know, mom was apparently not happy and she wanted, had some more questions. That was people up top trying to like push and massage and finagle and, and like, they didn't want him here and they have been, actively working against Kentucky to uh, both getting him away from Kentucky at USC. And also now, you know, okay, well he's, he's in Lexington. Now let's try boot season. And it's a really uncomfortable position for Kentucky, but there is internal optimism that this is going to get figured out that he's going to play basketball, Kentucky, like he wants to do personally. Aaron Bradshaw wants to play for Kentucky. Kentucky thinks he is going to play for Kentucky and the timeline that I had heard is now September, October-ish when he's uh, going to be able to return to basketball activities and, and start ramping things up. So that's just what I know. I It's it's very frustrating. I'm not going to make stuff up on this kid and try to like that. That's the extent of what I know. It's frustrating as hell. Um, my hope is that he plays. I, I, I myself, I believe that Aaron Bradshaw will play for Kentucky at some point, but timeline and, promising that we won't have boot gate 4.0 or whatever. I'm not making any of those promises. This is a whole different animal with the most powerful people in basketball, as we're seeing with Chris Livingston and his draft guarantee, which I don't know how that, where that came from. See, and I thought, I thought what tanked Chris Livingston's draft status was um, his uh, play from all last season. Um, I mean, and he had all these workouts that he did and he had his, scouts giving him feedback that was like he needs to come back for four years so um was he used incorrectly at kentucky i mean what what was it that clutch wanted him what position to be a guard they they, they wanted him to play the two he's not so that he can play did what he shoot from three like 30 percent average six points per game i mean do we i mean are they watching the games like I, I mean, I'm not like totally defending Calipari here. Um, there, there have been times where we felt like guys are played out of out of a position, but um, certainly Livingston. We talked about him, but as a playing like a four, um, yeah, I, I don't get that. And and the other thing too would be, uh, what 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 good is it? What is it? What good is it doing, Aaron Bradshaw, if? he is ready to go and like that's just they're just they just don't want him to play i mean having him sit out an entire year of basketball and then go right into the nba what good is that doing aaron bradshaw did not play competitive basketball for a whole season if he can go now if he's really hurt i get that you don't want to you know anything crazy happening but that's what i don't understand i don't understand how that's beneficial to the athlete yeah I, they in their mind you know 
they're going I'll to... I'll hang up and listen, by the way. They're, they're going to... Oh, hey, Sean's back. Can you hear me? My phone didn't get too hot. Yeah, I can hear you. My It's not my phone. My phone Did your didn't phone get overheat again? No. I don't know what it is, but I'm now on my phone. It's, well, it's just I, meant for me to be on my phone. I, I want to just get your thoughts on it. You were, I was actually with you when the Aaron Bradshaw news broke. We were, I was uh, at your game uh, at, uh, uh, where were we? Collins High School watching uh, yeah. other recruits. And I was going to uh, go to your game. We were going to get lunch before that. And then the news broke. And I said, hey, give me just a minute because all hell is breaking loose right now. Uh, literally, um, unfortunately, uh, your reaction to that. And I, I don't know if you were able to hear, but um, can't get this confirmed from Kentucky, but I had heard elsewhere that uh, surgery has been done already. And that the timeline for return is potentially September to October again, not confirmed from Kentucky. So this is just kind of scuttlebutt, not scoop. Um, definitely makes me feel a little bit better about, the instead of the four to six month initial timeline before the surgery uh, that would have potentially put him back October to potentially December or whatever. I don't know, November, December timeline, January, whatever it was. Um, that makes me at least feel better that we could potentially see him play for Kentucky at some point. Your reaction last week when the news broke versus now that um, things are at least trending in a little bit in the right direction that he could potentially uh, suit up for the Cats. Yeah, you were you were a busy man, you know, trying to trying to watch us play and stuff. And then that news broke, and you sent me you sent me a text, and then we were together. And I told you how frustrating it was. Like it's it's frustrating that the way things were going already with roster construction and and where we didn't know what was going on with Antonio Reeves, and then you get that news, and then that had been some scuttlebutt there for what weeks that there was something there. And you had everything going on with Clutch and, and stuff just a month or so ago. So frustrated was probably my reaction when me and you were together and and stuff. And, I mean, you can't help injuries and things like that. But then again, like the kind of the, the dancing around of wondering, is something wrong? Is, is nothing? Is he okay? Is he going to be able to play? And then I think this fan base, just from past experiences when it comes to injuries, it's easy to get frustrated because when you say September, October – does that turn into January or February? Or does it turn into nothing at all? Like that's and that's why problem. I said I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know if you heard before, like right before you came on. I said this is all I know. I am making no guarantees about Bootgate 4.0. Like I, it this this is the information that I have. I'm going to lay it out. I am hoping for the best. I. I know that, that I know for certain that Aaron Bradshaw himself wants to play. Kentucky believes that he will be back on the floor and that Aaron's a great kid. Like I never in the midst of any of this stuff with USC, it, I feel bad for the kid himself because you have an agency that wants to play puppet and control thinking that they're doing what's best for their client when really it's just making everybody involved look bad. Like it makes Aaron Bradshaw look bad when he's not a bad kid. He's a great kid, means well, like the most charismatic. There there were so many reports from uh, kids at, at these camps, the, the father-son camp, and uh, that saw him there. And they were like, oh, my gosh, he was playing one-on-one -on -one with me. He's so kind and uh, was, you know, going out of his way to sign autographs. Like that's who this kid is. And I never want that to get lost in translation that 
Kentucky isn't doing the wrong thing with this. Like they only know what they know on their end, what their doctors are telling them. And like they are internally optimistic that he will play for Kentucky. Aaron Bradshaw himself wants to play. But do I trust Clutch? Zero. Like no. we just saw this unfold with Chris Livingston. And tomorrow Chris Livingston is going to be drafted specifically because of that agent. Is Chris Livingston even a draftable basketball player from what he showed at Kentucky? Me personally, I don't think so. But that just shows the 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 power that Clutch has with its clients, and that's why I don't trust them. So it, it's it's going to be fascinating, and I I feel I really do feel I feel bad for Aaron Bradshaw that he's kind of in the middle of all this, and I feel bad for Kentucky that Cal is having to orchestrate this roster, you know, knowing that like, yeah, this kid has a you know has this issue that needed to be addressed, and you know he himself wants to play and. They're trying to navigate everything just from a pure health perspective. They don't need that outside baggage that clutches. Yeah, and and that power will be on full display tomorrow night during the NBA draft. Mm-hmm. If if he's drafted, then clutch flexes its muscles and shows its power, and then you start to wonder what the influence is from agency to player, a, a kid the caliber of Aaron Bradshaw, where. If, if he never plays, still gets a chance to, to be drafted and then probably in a range of maybe a lottery pick and, and things like that. But th- this is a piece that Kentucky needs. But now with the, the injury and the timetable, it's going to miss the, the summer, going to miss an important trip to Toronto, going to miss some pieces of the preseason. And if he does return in October and is able to get on the floor for those practices, then you don't have as much concern. But if that starts to linger into the season and it's November and it's December and a kid of that caliber – Mm. I don't I don't want to I don't want to even entertain how messy that could get. And that's why getting Trey Mitchell would be huge. Important. Just, just yeah. the insurance policy. I'm comfortable with him playing prolonged minutes slash games if Aaron Bradshaw that extends ever so slightly into the season. I hope it doesn't. I hope that he def- never misses a single uh single second of his freshman season. And I hope he can play, but if he does have to miss some time. Uh, I think getting Trey, Trey Mitchell would be absolutely huge. So, Sean, let's think let, before we get you out of here, we're, we're going to uh, yeah. shove you out and get Zach in to talk a little bit about the NBA after this. But all things go well. Kentucky adds Trey Mitchell in the next week or two. They get Santo Surreal in August. And this roster is now eight freshmen, two sophomore returnees, and Ugo in, in a do Thero. You get Trey Mitchell in. You get Antonio Reeves back. Is that a national title contender? Is that a team that you would be comfortable from a pure talent perspective to win a national title uh, next spring? So we're, we're talking like everything's going to come together and it's all positives, yep. right? So yep. you certainly have talent and it's, it's youthful talent in a generation that is significantly older in college basketball. Like, Teams are old right now across the country. Kentucky will not be old. But I do think that they would have pieces that could make a run in the NCAA tournament. I, I would expect it to be an up-and-down year. I would expect to be us to see highs. I'd expect us to see lows. But I think when push comes to shove, if those are all the pieces that they have and they're healthy, I think Kentucky would be a team come March that you wouldn't want to see in your bracket. I really do. Like I think that's a team that could that could make a run. 
to me, it's a team that makes it to the second weekend, depending on matchups, has a chance to play its way into a final weekend. But I think second weekend would be where I would put the, the main goal of probably what – not not really the, the main goal is to win a national championship, but where I think a realistic goal would be second weekend with a chance to play your way into the final four, and then you never know what happens. I, I need to see this team on the court in Toronto. I need to see how they mesh together. I need to see the guards. If Justin Edwards lives up to the hype and he ends up being a lottery pick or a top five, top ten pick, then I think Kentucky will be right there as one of the better teams in college basketball and in the SEC when it matters. Yeah, and, and I will add, uh, Jack Moan said uh, Derek Lively and Nick Smith had minor injuries last year, uh, and they played towards the end of the season. Yeah. That has happened, and there was also a lot of buzz, especially with Nick, Nick Smith, about him potentially never playing a single minute for Arkansas as well. So it was a little bit more complicated because like, there was also some discontent on Nick's side and family side that kind of played into that as well. But there is a track record of players kind of, you know, players playing at the end of the day. And, and that does make me feel um, a little bit better about Aaron Bradshaw as well. But, but I, I – Go for it. You need two. You need two of those freshmen to hit for it to really put you in the the. I think the conversation for title contender. And if it's DJ, and if it's Justin, then I think Kentucky is going to be right there. If those two live up to the hype and they are more so on the elite end of what we talk about in college basketball when it comes to freshmen and playmakers and things, then I think Kentucky's going to be right there. But also think that you really you put a lot on Ugana. I think. The, he is a, a guy that how he develops probably maybe sways where Kentucky goes, whether it be on the defensive end or the offensive end. His development is really, really important, especially if Bradshaw misses time or isn't available for the, enti the entirety of the season. I think that makes his role even more important. And I've had a lot of people ask me starting lineup projections and stuff now that Reeves is back. I don't know what it'll look like in November. But my starting lineup pr prediction for Toronto would be DJ, Antonio, Justin, and I'm going to slide a do in at that forward spot with Ugana. That is my projections sure. for starting. And, and I'm really excited for that, especially, Sean, because you, you're not going to know what a do is until you throw him in with the fire. Like we saw him early on due to injury thrive in that role, and he struggled a little bit late when he, he kind of – lost that consistency and he was really at his best when he kind of had a consistent thrown in in role especially like super super early he was really good uh that's what i'm excited for especially seeing him in toronto and just seeing i mean did you see that when he uh shook uh, uh joey hart's hand like his bicep was like bulging out it was like holy hell he's man got the frame. yeah he's got the frame to play that spot and on top of that I just think that his his body and his, the way that he's continuing to grow and he, he's adding size and muscle to his frame, he showed the ability to knock down open shots in the limited opportunities that we've seen him, whether it was in the Bahamas last year in the regular season. I don't think he's going to be a primary ball handler, but I could see a role with him catching the ball at that forward spot, whether it be the four or maybe some three, but I, I'm, I'm thinking the four. And letting him just go to work and get that get those shoulders downhill and take somebody off the bounce, like that's that's possibly a role that I'm seeing for him, and I think that that gets him on the floor. It never was to me about where does he fit into the backcourt. Now it's about where does he just fit into whatever role Kentucky needs him. And if that's sliding to a three, and hopefully, in my opinion, the four, 
then I think Kentucky has an intriguing piece there. And I think he's going to start in Toronto. Yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, well, Sean, let's get you out of here. Do, do you have any uh, last-second draft thoughts? Where, where do you think uh, – what's your pr- projected draft range for Case and Wallace? And name who gets drafted out of the other three, Chris Livingston, um, Oscar Sheboy, and Jacob Toppin? I would like to think that that Kaysen slides into late lottery. Like I would, I would love to see that somewhere. And I think Chris will get drafted off of clutch, but I think that that ends the night for Kentucky. I think that that ends the, the night of draft picks. I think Kentucky gets those two picked. And then I think you see the other two sign some, some deals and stuff afterwards or get picked up for summer league games and things like that. But it, it's not the night that we're used to when it comes to Kentucky basketball. It really hasn't been for the last couple of years. But the hope is that this Kentucky roster kind of gets it back to that, right? Like that you you get talent that goes deep into March, competes to win a national championship, and then uh, shows out on draft night. But I do think Kaysen is another guy that is going to fit the mold of those Kentucky guards that probably maybe is undervalued by some guys that ends up a name here two or three years from now we're talking a lot about and putting up crazy numbers and, and making an impact in the league for a long time. I think Kaysen's the type of guy that has a 10-plus-year NBA career if he stays healthy. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, Sean, let's get you out here. Where can fans find your work? You can find my work at GoBigBlueCountry.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at GBBCountry. Does this mean that I actually get to exit on my own this time and it's not another issue? Yes, you get to hit the Leaf Studio button <laughs> on your own. I'm, I'm proud of you. Good, good job. No phone overheating, no bad Wi-Fi, no, no, no nothing. You get to leave on your own accord. It's, it's fantastic. <laughs> well, Zach's going to tag in here. Well, sweet. Uh, while we wait for Zach to come on, the Source Say podcast is brought to you by Andy Ludicky in MyPerfectFranchise.net. Are you, Zach Gagan, ready to leave the corporate rat race for the American dream, looking for a side hustle while working your current job, wanting to diversify, build wealth, and or leave a legacy? Andy can help. Andy is a franchise consultant as well as franchise owner and helps people find franchises that fit their skill sets, financial requirements, time to commit, and more. His services are 100% free to you, and he's here to help you. If you have any questions about business ownership, you can learn more and contact Andy anytime at www.myperfectfranchise.com. Dot net. Zach Gagan. What's up, buddy? Hey, how's it going? Feels good to be here. I know. Well, we're going to nerd out a little. This is your favorite time of the year. And I thought, man, there is nobody else I'd rather have on the show to nerd out specifically than Zach Gagan and our NBA aficionado over at KSR. He does great work elsewhere and in, in, in every facet, but certainly loves him some NBA news. While we were waiting for you to come on the show, bring it up. I was going to bring it up. What, what do we think? Live, live reactions. Cause I haven't really gotten to process it too, too much. We have a trade between the wizard talks, strong Boston Celtics and LA Clippers, where they are in strong talks that would send Kristaps Porzingis to Boston, Marcus Morris and draft compensation to Washington and Malcolm Brogdon to LA. What do you think? Live reactions. Uh, initial thoughts. It's a, almost a perfect trade probably if they can, you know, sign and trade him. Uh, kind of the big deal with the, your boys there in Boston was they had a loaded backcourt of just kind of guys that all did the exact same thing. So you offload Brogdon, uh, you bring in Christos Porzingis, you create pretty much, I mean, I would say that's the the deadliest front court you can make in the NBA uh, with having Jalen Brown, Tatum, and, and Porzingis there. And then you get to keep uh, Derek White. Who knows what they end up doing with Marcus Smart, but 
they've got a squad now. So I think uh, another uh, finals heartbreak for the Celtics in future for, for 2024, Jack. We're going to make it. That's all I know. Whether we win it or not, and Tatum comes up clutch, <laughs> clutch. Hey. Uh, again, we'll, we'll we'll see how that unfolds. So uh, that's the uh, latest and greatest. Let's talk just draft in general, man. This is like one of the most highly anticipated drafts from a generational talent perspective because you have a clear uh, potential future Hall of Famer in Victor Wembanyama, uh, followed by some really really intriguing talent SEC guy. Uh, in Brandon Miller, Scoot Henderson, very likely going number three. Then you have uh, kind of that range of, is it going to be the Thompson, which Thompson twin goes first? Uh, where do, you know, some of the other guys fall, in, fall into the fold? And then Case and Wallace somewhere in that mix, probably toward the tail end of that uh, top 10 early lottery potentially. Uh, so, so your thoughts, just how excited are you for uh, draft night from a uh, high-end excitement potential uh, individual perspective? Well, obviously, Wembenyama is going to be, you know, the, the star here. Everyone's all eyes are going to be on him. He's already making headlines. He's already saying the right things, knows what he's doing. Uh, he's going to be just so much fun to watch, uh, kind of regardless of, of how good he is, I guess, his first year. I'm sure it'll take some time to come around because he's going to get bullied a lot. Uh, that'll probably be his only bad or, you know, the, the thing that other teams target. But that kid's going to be really, really good. Um, I think it, I would liken it to, you know, almost like a surefire bet, kind of like how Luca was, even though Luca went number three for reasons that, you know, are uh, confusing to everyone else because of the two that went before him, but, uh, or even four or whatever he went, but Victor's going to be great. Uh, I'm a big fan of Scoot. Uh, I would almost, I, I kind of get, I get why Brandon Miller's kind of going number two or projected to go number two. And it looks like the betting odds are really swinging that way right now, but I'm a big Scoot fan. And if that uh, jump shot ever comes around to about 35% from three, that kid, I mean, the Derrick Rose, Russell Westbrook, like those type of comparisons, those are real. Uh, I do like Brandon Miller. I don't know if you just saw Brandon Miller just said that his greatest player of all time is Paul George. <laughs> so that was uh, feet, baby. a lot of people were defending him because, you know, he's probably born like six years ago or whatever, but he's still been able to watch LeBron. Like, LeBron, like, come on now. I know he gets compared a lot to uh, Paul George. So that's probably why he's, you know, playing into that. And yeah, it's a, it's a future, like he's playing his own greatness into existence by saying, well, yeah. if, if I end up being the elite player that I anticipate myself becoming, then if I compare oh, to the guy I modeled myself after, then, Hey, I'm kind of indirectly the best player of all time. Yeah. And I don't think he's a, as good of an athlete as Paul George. That's kind of the one thing that I think Paul George really has on him, but uh, Brandon Miller's probably going to end up being a better shooter, which is, uh, you know, that's really, that'll be, He'll be a really good player wherever he ends up going, if that's to Charlotte at number two. Uh, then you got the Thompson Twins, big fan of both of them. Um, I think they're probably your next best bet to kind of fall in line there. I would be shocked if they just go back-to-back -back at four and five or whatever. Um, big fan of Cam Whitmore. I think he's a guy that's deserved to get a top uh, ten. Yeah, he's, he's a guy that you and I both liked uh, when he was coming out of high school. And then uh, kind of after that, and then Jairus Walker, too. I'm kind of a big fan of him. I think he'll end up being just a good player. He was a guy watching him in high school. I didn't think there was a chance that his game would project uh, to the NBA as well as it has. And, and he just played so unbelievably well uh, at Houston. Uh, and now he's blown everybody away in, in, in the workout process. And that that's a guy that I will very happily be wrong on because I, I didn't think there was a, a chance that he was a high-end pro. Yeah, like I haven't seen nearly as much uh, film on him just because I didn't, you know, watch too much of Houston basketball. But I know that there's a, all, the, all the smarter folks really like him. So, but then after that, that's when I start seeing like, why are we not thinking Case and Wallace coming in here? Because, you know, when I look at some of the, the the big boards, you've got guys like Anthony Black, 
uh, Jalen Hood, uh, Shafino, uh, Keontae George, uh, who are some other guys I can just put here? Kobe Bufkin, who I actually do really like, the Michigan mm-hmm. kid. Um, but, like, I think Kaysen is a guy that uh, – Grady Dick, he's a – Kaysen's a guy that I would take over all of those guys. I'm not saying that Kaysen is probably going to be, you know, the sixth or seventh or eighth pick or whatever, but I do think there's uh, some real smoke to him going nine or ten or eleven. Uh, and, like like I said, I would 100% take him over a guy like Grady Dick or Hood Shafino or Keontae George. I get why someone would take Derek Lively over him, uh, as you and I have both talked about two-plus two years now. Uh, of our affection for Derek Lively, even though he didn't have a great year at Duke, there's just there's too much potential there in a kid like that that I would understand why you want to take him. And then even the Taylor Hendricks kid from uh, Central Florida has a lot of potential as a six foot nine, three and D type dude. Uh, but when you start putting up all these guards next to each other and just stacking them up against Casey uh, Wallace, I don't know anything about the uh, Koulibaly guy, who's uh, the, the French kid who was teammates with. Yeah, I don't really know much about him, so I can't really say if, if Kaysen's better or not. But I don't understand why Kaysen is – a lot of these mock drafts have him going outside the lottery. I really do think if you take him at 10 or 11 or 12, you're going to have a really, really good player just because of – it's it's kind of been parroted before. But the low – or uh, the, the really high floor, uh, you know, maybe his ceiling isn't as high as others. I do think that if he becomes a 35%, uh, 30, even like 34% from three – that Kaysen's uh, ceiling goes maybe a little bit higher than people would project right now. Um, I do think maybe his defense uh, at the next level will probably take a little bit to translate, but I do think that's where he's going to be like immediate still an immediate impact player there. And I would be shocked if he's not like an all rookie guy in his first year, just because especially if he goes to a team where he's fed 30 minutes a game, 25 minutes a game, uh, he's just going to be hard to take off the floor because even if he's not, you know, scoring 15, 20 points a game. That kid's going to play well enough defense. He's going to try hard. Uh, he's going to do all the little things that will keep him on the floor. Uh, so maybe it just depends, I guess, on what you're looking for. Are you looking for a guy who can immediately impact a game uh, for your team in the next two or three years, or are you looking for a guy who in three or four years is going to be like a star? Uh, and I guess who knows what what it's going to be like with Kaysen, but I really do think that he's a guy that has lottery potential, and I would still I would still be shocked – uh, if he does fall outside the lottery, even though that's where most of the projections had him at 15, 16, but like there's spots at nine, like the jazz at nine would love to have a guy like him. I think and he would immediately come in and play all those minutes. And if you're trying to slowly, slowly still kind of, I guess they have a faster rebuild build than they expected in Utah. But if you bring a guy like Kaysen in, he can immediately come in and impact. So I think there's going to be a lot of options. I know the magic have a few different first round picks too. There, uh, I think they got two in the lottery, even, so there are a lot of spots for Kaysen that I think uh, he can fall there. And I would be shocked if he goes to 15, 16. I would be honestly surprised. I'd bet a lot of money that he doesn't uh, fall outside the top 20 too. So I, I heard from an NBA guy that I, that I trust that said, I would be shocked. So regardless of what the draft boards look like right now, yeah, he's you know slotted right there at 15 to, to Atlanta, who he just worked out with yesterday. Uh, they said, mark my words, there is going to be a team that doesn't expect to take Kaysen late in the top 10, um, you know, eight, nine, 10 range. I had actually heard that the Washington Wizards are very intrigued with him uh, at eight potentially, but they said, mark my words, everybody's going to get caught up in, you know, Anthony Black and some of the high potential guys, and they're going to scare themselves into drafting Kaysen Wallace because he's such a lock uh, to be a safe pick. Like, his fail rate is almost non-existent. Like I, I do not envision a scenario where Casey Wallace goes to the NBA and just doesn't make it. 
Like he's going to be a 10 to 15 year pro who is going to contribute. Like even if it's as a, as a poor man's Drew Holiday, like that guy is a hell of a basketball player. It's going to last. There's I going to be a team. Mark comparisons for him too. There, there's going to be a team there at eight, nine, or ten that they're going to have some high potential guys there, like ready to take, and then they're going to go, oh damn. Uh, we like we can hit a double like we don't have to just swing for a home run and potentially strike out like let's just hit a double like we know that case and wallace is a double so that's something that i've kind of i've kind of let linger with myself for for a while that i think some team is going to get desperate to play it safe and win with case and wallace because of just his, his floor is just way too high I, I don't see him failing in the nba and I, I think that's going to work out to his advantage as teams try to weigh high potential versus high floor guys well, in the way, in the way, like I feel like this just happens every year with the NBA draft. Is we're gonna, we know the top three picks right now. It's gonna be Victor first, and then some combination of of Scoot and Brandon, probably Brandon Miller first, and then all it takes is one team to make a surprise at five or six, and the whole draft board just blows Explore. up, and everything gets thrown out the window, and you're like, okay, so now what do we do? Like, there's like. I wouldn't be shocked if someone takes Derek Lively at, at six or something, and then things just all blow up or Taylor Hendricks sneaks in at four or something like, like it just takes something or even Kobe Bufkin, this kid could come in. Like he's just been blowing people away in his pre-Jeff workouts, the Michigan point guard. So if he can come in and, and sneak in at five or six, you know, that just, it just shakes up everything. Um, but it's just, I just keep coming back to looking at some of these other guard prospects and, like I'll repeat the same names, Hood Shafino, Grady Dick. I, I understand why people want to take Anthony Black just because of, you know, if you can get a Josh Giddy type kid, like you would want to get that. But Josh Giddy is like a really good shooter and Anthony Black's not there yet. Uh, and so, and then Keontae George, you know, whatever other guard prospect you want to throw out that's in that area. I, I, I think if you put him on an NBA team right now, Kaysom Wallace is going to be the guy that immediately comes in and impacts winning, you know, makes winning plays and he's going to be, uh, more impactful than any of those other guys. So like, it just takes one, one team to really throw every, everyone's big board off, off the walls. And then who knows what happens after that. But again, I'd still be shocked if he somehow falls out of the top 15. So is there a guy in the first round that you're, you know, he might be a late first round guy that you expect to be maybe not even a star, but a, a guy that you expect to make it in the NBA. We, even if maybe even a second round guy, uh, somebody that you're kind of have penciled in saying that this is somebody I'm keeping a very close eye on thinking he's going to be a hit for whoever drafts him. Uh, well, I've mentioned him, mentioned both of them already. I don't know, you know, deep down in the second round or whatnot, but uh, Kobe Buffkin, the Michigan kid, uh, he's, he just has really good. The, the slashing numbers were really good. Uh, he had a huge leap from his freshman to sophomore year, just seems to have a really good head on him. He's impressed in all the pre-Jeff workouts. Uh, he's got good size for like a tweener type guy who can play both the one and the two. Um, and then Taylor Hendricks, the, the central central Florida uh, freshman who kind of came out of nowhere. Like I said, he's six, nine and can shoot and defend. Like he's, he's a perfect type of NBA power forward right now. And I think whatever team ends up picking him, whether that be at number five or at number 12 or 13, whatever it ends up being, that kid's going to be really, really good. Um, I, I was just kind of poo-pooing on Grady Dick earlier, but I am a big Grady Dick fan. Don't take that out of the contents. Don't clip that part there. Uh, I'm a big fan, of his. <laughs> big fan of his. And because uh, guys like him that shoot 40% from three and are six foot eight or six foot seven, whatever he is, yeah, that's that's exactly what you want uh, as, as well in the NBA. So I think he's the guy that I can see definitely uh, kind of overplaying whatever value he ends up going. 
uh, guys I'm not too high on, types like Nick Smith, uh, Keontae George, those are guys that I would probably try and stay away from in the lottery. Uh, even Hood Shafino, I think there's just a, a, a far lower, you know, maybe the, the ceiling and floors are, are so far apart from each other that it, it can be a little bit dangerous with those type of guys. Um, but yeah, that's right. I don't know if there's any other guys that you've uh, been keeping an eye on there, but. Yeah. Um, well, I, this, this kind of brought up a, a, a good, interesting point Andrew Bates. So the sad thing is that Toppin is a better player than Livingston in almost every possible way, but he just isn't a clutch kid. I, it is kind of sad. That's part of it. Three say four He's three or four years older. I think that's really the big sticking point with. But, but if you're looking for a six ten guy who you know with a face up game, capable of knocking down jump shots, like athletic as all get out. Like if you're looking for a guy who to take a flyer on in the second round as a potential, like maybe he makes it. Like I don't know how he's not getting more buzz because I, I look at the best available list with with Toppin uh, on ESPN, he's still like 84 or something like that. So it, it, that is, that's one that's really fascinating to me that he, there's not more buzz about him as a, you know, the second round is where you take flyers, you take shots on guys. Like how is he not the epitome of a guy you take a shot on? So I, I think it's a great point from Andrew Bates. I, I do think that uh, there, there is absolutely something to be said about, you know, a guy like Jacob Toppin who has the upside that he does, uh, I, I think Chris Livingston's going to get drafted due to connections. And like, and Chris is a great player. I think he kind of gets lost in the, the mix of like, I do think he himself is a good kid and like, and, you know, means well, and he's just trying to reach his NBA dreams too. So uh, like, there's nothing against him, but that, I think if I'm betting between both of those players, like, I don't know, I, I just see a higher ceiling and probably I would personally swing for Jacob Toppin. Yeah, and like you said, that clutch connection is probably the main driving factor. But again, it's the three years difference too. Like you know, you can take Chris Livingston and mold him a little bit more. Uh, Jacob is just you know, it's what I guess you could say the same same thing about Chris. But you know, what is what exactly does Jacob Toppin do well at the NBA level? You know, like what's he going to be really really good at? Um, like he's 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 currently a worse version of his older brother, and his older brother is still kind of like a bench player for the Knicks. So, and you know, he also came along late. So. I feel like he's a more finesse guy than his brother, though. Like, he he has a – I don't know. It's weird because Obi is just so physically imposing and, like, he kind of became more of a finesse guy in the NBA. But, like, I still think there's something to be said that Toppin is almost exclusively finesse and explosion with dunking, but with the same face up and not being able to knock down the 15, 17-footers, not as consistent from three. I, I know he went, got hot in SEC play, but, uh, like, I, I don't know. I, fe I feel like – they're just different players altogether. And that's why I'm kind of excited about what Jacob is going to be in the league. I don't know. Maybe, maybe yeah, Jacob's definitely going to get some sort of, like, I don't think he's going to get drafted. Uh, I, I think I even said like maybe a month or two ago that I was, I felt confident he had a second round pick, but there's just no buzz around him, which I think is odd. Like, yeah. Just that, at all. Like, M. Jordan Williams said that. I feel like Toppin's name just disappeared when he announced he was gone. Kind yeah. Of like no, no buzz. At all. Like, I don't think I've seen him, do any draft workouts, like didn't even get invited to the uh like the the NBA draft combine junior or yeah. whatever it was, you know, where that reason that Reeves got invited to. Yeah. So, or maybe he just didn't go or didn't well he was initially on the invite list and then but wasn't on the official wasn't on the official some or maybe he's he hurt he, he got or he maybe he's hurt. Maybe he got a guarantee from a team or like maybe. 
a team said, look, you're not going to get drafted. We know you're not going to get drafted, but we want to sign you uh, to a, a two-way deal. We we love your you know long-term potential. There's no reason to even deal with other nonsense. Like maybe that's the case, yeah. and he's just working out by himself. I don't know. And I think I think he definitely will get picked up pretty soon after the draft, just because the top and last name. Like you know, he's got the connections there. Like I don't think the Knicks would be the team to do it because of having Obi on there. But I guess it wouldn't shock me. Um, but it's just is top and like what what position he, is he in the NBA? Like is he a four? Can he defend fours? I don't think so. I don't think he can probably defend threes either. You know, uh, what's he going to be able to bring on off? Like he's not nearly enough, good enough as a playmaker. Um, like at least with Chris, you kind of have, you can lean on the, well, he's still only 19 years old. Like we've seen and enough. He's physically school. built. Like he, he's, he's big. Yeah. Physically looks you, can, you can, you can mold him a little bit more than you could a guy like Jacob. And I, I'm sure we'll talk about Chris more, but uh, Chris is like trending heavily into early second round talk right now. Like if we're going based off draft boards and stuff like that, and those, obviously those guys that are writing those, like, you know, the Vecinis, the Javonis, um, even the Kevin O'Connors, like they all have him in the second round. Like I think uh, the athletic and the ringer both have him like in the forties. Uh, and I think that, you know, why? I don't know. Like I wouldn't you know why it's, I mean, it's we know why, it's it's because of the next one, but I like I would understand taking a, a flyer more on Livingston than I guess I would Toppin. Um, but it is it is shocking to feel like to see Chris rising so much in those boards. And obviously he's, those people that are writing those are hearing from these teams and, and Clutch and, you know, Clutch can say whatever they want and it, you know, will spread like wildfire regardless of whether that's accurate or not. Uh, but I, I don't know. I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily take Chris. I'd probably take Oscar over Chris, if we're being honest, As, especially if it's late in the second round, just because I feel like I have a better idea of what Oscar's going to bring from day one, even if you have to shove him into the G League for the first year. So, so yeah, let's, let's talk about that. Uh, Oscar, I think, was is 60 in the best available for, um, for, for ESPN right now. So 58 picks, 60. So he's there. Yeah. Um, I think he's going to get drafted. I do. Like, I, I, do I think – I think Oscar, somebody's going to take him at 54, and they're going to be really damn happy about it. Like, I do. I, I think I think, I think has 54. You said what? I think Boston has the 54th pick, actually. I would be happy about it. the other day. I, I, yeah, I, I, a second workout with him. He is a guy with one elite NBA skill. He does. And there's a lot of guys in the second round that don't have any elite NBA skills, and they're hoping that it's a you know a high potential, like maybe – he develops that over time. Oscar has one elite NBA skill that will translate. Will any of the other stuff translate? That's the big question. But I think for that reason, especially, and again, I've, I've said this ad nauseum on the show, there's, there's no reason why Oscar should be seen as anything more than a 10-minute-per-game guy in the NBA. But there's no reason that he can't last a, a decade in the pros doing that like nobody's asking him to come in and develop and, and guard Joel Embiid and be that guy he's going to be guarding the other team's third string big and I think yeah. he can do that because they're not he's not there's not the the, the huge emphasis on on I don't know I feel like it's going to be easier easier to hide him defensively in the NBA than it was in college because of the other talent around him and I think NBA teams will be able to maximize what he does best and kind of minimize his flaws a little bit better to make him a long-term pro. I just do. I, I'm, bet, I'm betting on Oscar Shibuya. I think the idea with Oscar is his best case scenario is some sort of Montrez Harrell type. 
where he's not going to play any defense, but he's going to come off the bench and he's going to be able to score around the rim and rebound the hell out of the ball and try really, really hard. And those are like, we've seen, there's been guys in the NBA that have come in and just only like Reggie Evans. That's like 20 years ago. A little date, even myself here, but Reggie Evans, he made a 15 year career out of just rebounding the ball. The game has obviously changed since then. And, and, you know, obviously you need more shooting and stuff like that, but there are, there are roles for guys like Oscar. Uh, and I, like I said, I do think he'll get drafted. I would put the chance if I'm making a chance, I would put a 51% though. So like, you know, yeah. right on the edge of, of, yeah, maybe he will, but I will not be shocked at all if he doesn't, but he's also a guy who I think would get picked up almost immediately after the draft. Someone signs him and he could honestly be a guy. I think that could get a better deal going undrafted than he would in the second round where he'd maybe get a three-year deal worth, you know, three or 4 million a year or something like that. Um, so I do think that he ends up he'll he'll find a team pretty quickly regardless of he's if, if he's picked or not. Sorry, I got a puppy here, uh, Jan, and I don't know if you heard that. I got I had the same same issue to start the show. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think there's Oscar has the ones he has a one skill that will translate. Um, you know, I don't see him averaging 15 rebounds a game in the NBA, but I absolutely see him his per 40 numbers or whatever you want to say per 48. Will probably be crazy if he does get like a you know his rookie year gets some get some clock in the NBA where he just comes in and plays garbage minutes in the middle of the season uh, for like a bad team or, or or something like that or a team that's kind of cruising through the season. So um, I do think that there's a potential. I, we've said it long for a long time. Like there's there is a spot in the NBA for Oscar. I guess it's just a matter of can he get a little bit better on defense? Can he expand his range just a little bit more to make him more of a threat? Uh, I thought his playmaking definitely got better over the last year at UK. Um, but rebounding the ball, like that never, no matter what era of basketball you were in, rebounding the ball is always vital. And if you can get a guy like that who can rebound 40% of the misses or whatever it is, uh, I think you can take a chance on him, especially if it's pick 50 or something like that. Same same argument that I made for Kaysen earlier of, of a safe pick. Like Oscar – you know exactly what he's going to be. You know exactly the role he's going to have. You know he's not going to demand this ridiculous role in the NBA ever. Like, he's not going to be year six, say, I deserve 35 minutes in this starring role. Like, this is a guy you know exactly who he's going to be. He's going to be a long-term, comfortable bench guy. But, you know, like, you see those all over the league. Like, we, we see them on contenders right now. We saw Kevon Looney go for – 25 and 28 in the playoff game. Like, and that, was, that was a guy I compared him to uh, as well, or Oscar, I compared him to Kevon Looney, especially when he was doing, when Kevon Looney was doing his whole finals run last year, uh, when they beat uh, the team that shall not be named uh, there in the finals there. But Kevon Looney is another, that's a perfect, like Kevon Looney can't do anything with the basketball except rebound and score layups and try really hard. And, there are uh, there's just roles for, and Kevon Looney it even took him like five or six years just to be able to play 20 minutes a game for the Warriors uh, and obviously you know that was with them during their title years and stuff so a little bit of different situation but you know I, I don't think Oscar will impact winning at, even if he does you know come in and, and, and is able to you know grab five or six rebounds whenever he plays or something like that I don't think it'll be enough to impact winning enough and maybe that's why a team wouldn't want to take him because with a, with a guy like Kaysen, he's going to impact winning. You know, even if he's at his floor coming in, he's still going to find ways to make winning plays and, and or play winning basketball. With Oscar, I'm not entirely sure that'll be the case because he's still going to be able to give up a lot on the other end. And that's probably where, you know, teams will still target him there and things like that. So 
Uh, it's, uh, you know, I would take Oscar, it, but like I said, I would take him at 54, 50, something like that. So as long as, long as he's a Boston Celtic, that's all that matters. Uh, there you go. I'll be quite but happy. He, he, talk, you know, he would dominate in the G League, and I have no, I do not argue with that at all. Like Oscar, whenever he, because he will play in the G League. Like, let's, mm-hmm. I think we should go ahead and just say that right now. He's going to start out playing in the G League, no matter if he gets drafted or not, I think. Uh, but he's going to do really, really well in there. And then that's why it probably won't take too much time for him to to get his shot in the NBA. It's just going to be a matter of if he can take advantage of it or not, I guess. Let's get you out of here with this one hot take for draft night. What 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 is one thing that you think is going to blow people's minds on Thursday evening? Victor falls to the second round. No, I think, <laughs> I think Scoot goes number two. Really? Yeah, I think just personally, I think I would take Scoot over uh, Brandon Miller. Like, you know, that kid's had two years in the G League, uh, which is, you know, just no no, no argument about it. It's better than SEC basketball. He's had two years in that league. His stats <coughs> weren't, you know, Brandon Miller types. But Brandon Miller had, uh, you know, had long stretches there where he just wasn't that productive. You know, call it whatever you want. If he was just – if teams were targeting him more, if he was getting – you know, kind of overwhelmed with it. Obviously, that'll probably translate a little bit different in the NBA, but I think Scoot is like a can't-miss Derrick Rose-type point guard that you, any other year, he's going number one, even if Brandon Miller's in that draft type thing. Like, I'm just a big Scoot fan. I remember when we got to watch him three years ago or whatever, when he was still, like, when he was thinking about going to Auburn or whatever it was. Uh, like that kid, he's just he's played against grown men for a long, long time now. Two years against G League talent. Uh, I just think that that he's he's got everything it takes to be a really good point guard. I don't know if he'll have the same like career arc as Brandon Miller. Like Brandon Miller's probably more. Uh, I don't know what the word is. He's probably more likely to have a 15 year career just because he doesn't necessarily rely on athleticism and speed. He's just a, he's got a really good jump shot. Whereas we've seen guys like Westbrook, Derrick Rose, like their bodies just kind of tear down after 10 years. But like I would still take Scoot uh, because guess what? Derrick Rose and Russell Westbrook were MVPs. And Paul George, uh, for all that we know about Paul George, he is playoff P, but he sucks whenever it comes into the playoffs. <laughs> when it comes into showtime, he's, he's better. The he's, of all time. he's better suited as a number two. Um but you know, I, I understand why people will probably why Brandon Miller will probably go uh, ahead of him because that's just the way the NBA works now is you want to have long wings who can shoot the ball and can play, you know, for over a decade long as opposed to a guy like Scoot who kind of relies more on athleticism. But Scoot is going to come out, and I wouldn't be shocked if Scoot wins Rookie of the Year just because it'll take Victor a little bit to get adjusted, and Scoot's just going to come in. He's he going to have Rookie of the Year written all over him. He does. Yeah. yeah. So that's that would be I don't know if that's a hot take. It it, it probably wouldn't have been a hot take a, a week ago, but now I guess it is because all the betting odds are pointing. And even I think Andrew Slater even pointed something out about. And if Andrew Slater says Brandon Miller's going number two, he's probably going number two. But I'm not buying it. <laughs> Andrew Slater is wrong. Steve <laughs> Henderson goes number two tomorrow on ESPN at eight o'clock uh, live from the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. Oh, I and love Casey it. Goes number, you know, let's let's just say right now, where do you think Kaysen goes? Uh, I think Kaysen goes. I think he goes ten overall. I think he goes 10. ten. Let me let me look here. I need to figure out who has number ten. So ten is to the Mavericks, and that would be with. Uh, so he kind of you know the Luca Kyrie kind of off the bench type deal. I would I would honestly like that. 
It'd be pretty intriguing, actually. I, I like that. I do like – I've heard – so, in order, I've heard Matt, uh, Wizards like him at eight, followed mm-hmm. by Raptors and Pelicans in that order. So I think Raptors at 13. That's that's where I'm going to say is Raptors at 13 because I think they're probably going to find a way to get off Fred Van Fleet. There's a fit in all of those, like in that. That's the thing. You could put him at the Thunder at 12. And, yeah. You know, have him come off the bench behind Shea and, and Josh Giddy. Uh, you could have him at 11 with the Magic because they still kind of need a guy there. You know, Marco Fultz is going to eventually, you know, hit his cap or whatever it is. You've got a bunch of young forwards there. Uh, like th- that fits really good. I think the Jazz at nine is another spot. Uh, the, the Hawks at 15, I think, is a little different just because obviously they're going to, like, Trey Young's the guy there. And I, I just still don't I still don't know what position Casey will play at the next level. I think he'll just do kind of he might do kind of what Jamal Murray did where he was kind of a two guard at UK. Yeah. He just transitioned straight into a point guard, not necessarily like a huge playmaker type guy, even though Jamal Murray has actually become a really good playmaker. But uh, I, I think that there's a, there is a fit for a lot of these teams. I'm like, the thing is, you know, you've got the Jazz there at 16, too. So they've got nine and 16. Like if the Jazz, if he falls to 16, the Jazz are taking him. Like that's just that's gonna happen because there's no reason not to at that point. But I think my pick would be 13 to the Raptors, and then I would probably say 12 after that would be my next best get for the Thunder with him and and Shea linking up there. We'll see. It's gonna be quite fascinating. Zach, appreciate you coming on as always. Great stuff. Uh, Where can fans find your work? Well, they can find me at uh, KentuckySportsRadio.com. We're doing a lot of football recruiting right now. That's just where my mind has been is high school football recruiting for the last like two months. So. I'm trying to spread myself out to the back into the NBA draft. So I'm excited to cover everything tomorrow uh, with you, Jack. We'll be uh, pumping out stuff on KS board there. Uh, you can obviously also follow me on Twitter, follow uh, whatever I'm tweeting about along there uh, at Z Gagan, KSR Gagan is G E O G H E G A N, the triple G. Haven't said that in a while on here. So yeah, I'm excited for tomorrow. Looking forward to it. Find me on Twitter as well at Jack Pilgrim KSR. Reach out to me via email. Jay Pilgrim at KentuckySportsRadio.com. With that, we'll be back next time for the Jam Packed Sources A podcast. We will see you then.